when I know that song is coming up, I try to listen to it a couple of times before the service just because of the power of the blood of Christ. And I love songs that help me express to God things that maybe, maybe I don't normally express. And that song, we th- thank you for the blood that was applied. I'm, I'm grateful for a church that has stood strong on the word of God for years and that this has been a pulpit for years that's not been afraid to talk about the blood of Christ. There are places you could go today and there would not be one mention, maybe over the course of years, about the blood of Christ. For some of you, that's hard to imagine because you've enjoyed years of standing on the Word and preaching from the Word of God and knowing what the Word of God says about the payment for sin. You could not pay that debt. You were destined for an eternity in hell. You were outside the family of God under the power of darkness before you placed your faith in Jesus' death and resurrection and before you confessed him as Lord of your life. Thank you, God, for the blood applied. Open your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 4. How do you know you're in the family of God? How do you know the blood has covered your sin? How do you know that one day when you leave this earth, you're going to spend eternity in heaven? One way that I believe that you can know for sure is if you listen to the word of God. 1 John chapter 4, we'll read the first six verses. Stand with me this morning as we read. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you're from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever's not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You may be seated. Let's pray again. Father, it's good to just open up your word. And as we open it and read it this morning, we... We see some pretty strong words. Would you give us understanding today? Help us to accurately explain and understand this text. Help us to sacrificially apply it and live it out. Today we surrender ourselves to you because we know that you are our God. And we know this this book, this, this Bible is from you. It's inspired by you and So today we want everything you want for our lives. Would you make us more like Christ? Would you help us to understand your word? We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I love babies. When the deacons 
prayed with me this morning. I, I thank God for our deacons, uh, the deacon teams that shows up each Sunday morning and prays with me in my office. They were leaving this morning, and there's a, a picture of ten grandchildren from the oldest just turned ten today. So from ten to one, one the youngest just turned one, and so all ten of these I have had the great privilege of just holding, feeding, enjoying. I, I, I love it. My, my family accuses me of being the baby hog because I love it so much. One thing I know about babies, and since my wife and I had four and now we have ten grandkids, I know just a little bit about them. They live to eat. They love to eat. I, I mean, they're born to eat. And when they're hungry, they let you know that it's time to eat. And sometimes it's like hourly that they're saying, I'm hungry, feed me. That's one of the things I love about new believers, because they're like newborn babes. They're hungry. They want the Word of God. Sometimes parents will say, well, how do I know if my child has really placed his or her faith in Christ? How do I know? Maybe that parent says, how do, know, how do I know that I've really placed my faith in Christ? And one of those indicators for me is a hunger for the Word of God. The appetite is there, and, and a, a healthy baby eats, and a healthy newborn Christian wants to eat. Hold your place here in 1 John and turn back with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 for just a second. Get your fingers ready. If you're not one who likes to flip to passages, it's okay. You might just want to jot some of these passages down as we look at them this morning. Again, we'll primarily be in 1 John 4, but, but we're going to look at a number of passages as we go through our text this morning. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says this, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now, we don't study the Bible for salvation, to get salvation, to earn salvation. We don't read our Bibles every day so that God will somehow look at us and, and think we're, we're better or love us more. We, we don't read the Bible for that reason. We read the Bible more because we want to learn how to love God more. We want to understand more about Him. There's a hunger to grow in our relationship. So reading the Bible helps us to grow up into our salvation. God has saved us. He's given us a holy calling. He's given us a position. He has called us his children. And so now we want to grow up into that salvation and live out what it really means to be a follower of Christ. Another text that indicates this is back in Hebrews chapter 5. Notice the comparison from milk to meat when you hear this passage in verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. You see, even believers can, can get so distracted that they grow dull of hearing. That's an interesting place. Maybe there was a time in your life when you hungered and thirsted after righteousness, after the Word of God, and you've kind of grown cold. You've, you've not been in the Word like you were at one time. Well, verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have 
their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. There's a level of maturity. The more you're in the Word of God, you grow from being a babe in Christ to becoming a toddler, to becoming a child, an adolescent, a young adult, to spiritual maturity. There's a growing that takes place. The more we're in the Word of God, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There is this normal process that when we're born again, we begin to to drink the milk, and we're thirsty, and it's almost like we can't get enough, but we begin to get to solid food. We might call it the meat, and those who've been trained by, you started with the milk, and you've moved to the solid food, and you're into the meat of it, you're being trained for godliness, to make godly choices, and to live according to the will of God, to know the heart of God and the mind of God, so that you can do the will of God. It concerns me greatly if someone has no interest in the Word of God. At Lawndale, one of the things that we practice is biblical worship, and a part of biblical worship is just taking a book of the Bible and studying through it. And we try to to plumb the depths as much as we can in the limited time we have on Sunday mornings, but we want to dig deep. There's, I, I hope, a lot of milk in there where people can just drink, but I hope there's also some meat because the Word of God is simple enough that a child can understand, but deep enough that the most intelligent, the highest IQ person can spend a lifetime digging and searching. And for those who are just content to come on a Sunday morning and hear a message, it concerns me that there's not more people who would read the Bible on a daily basis. Sometimes I wonder about the salvation of people. If they have no hunger, no desire for the Word of God, are, are they really saved? Do they really have new life? Are they healthy? Are they living? Uh, A newborn babe wants to eat. And a newborn Christian should want to eat and to grow and to learn and not just be satisfied even with the milk of the Word, but want to grow deeper and ask questions and be in Bible studies and read on a daily basis. Here's what we believe about the Bible at Lawndale. We, we subscribe to the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 edition. We don't uh, hold to anything as far as word for word but the Bible itself. The Bible is our guide. But sometimes people make statements about the Bible so that others can know where do you, where do you stand on these issues how do you, what do you think the Bible says about itself and about other things? And the Baptist Faith in Message 2000 has a clear statement about the Scriptures. and It says, The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of Himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us, and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union, 
and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinion should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. As I said earlier, Lawndale has long been known as a church that stood on the Word of God. I remember the first time I came to Lawndale back in 2006, I, I had an interview with the pastor, Dr. Joe Giratelli, and that was one of the things I wanted to know. What do you think about the Bible? And of course, you know Dr. Joe, he just, it's, it's God's Word, it's true, it's inspired by God, it's inerrant, and he just laid it out and what a great comfort to know. And, and, and our community, I believe, knows that about Lawndale, that if you're, if, if you're looking for a church that preaches the Word of God, Lawndale is that church that believes the Word of God. It's going to stand on the Word of God. We, we've been given the baton. We're to hold the line, and we're to pass this baton down to the next generation. Last year, for some good news, just in general, Barna found out that 7 out of 10 Americans believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Now, there are some other problems that we have to address. But isn't that a, a good starting place that 70% of Americans believe the Bible is the Word of God? Now, what they mean by Word of God and how they understand and apply and the context of it all, that's a lot of work to be done, but that's a good starting place for us. So most of your neighbors have some kind of sense of the Bible being the Word of God. Most of your family members have some kind of sense. Now, again, we might have to help them move along in understanding what the Bible means and what it is and how to interpret it. But that's a wonderful starting place for us. So think back with me now to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. If we believe that an evidence of our salvation, an indicator that we are in the family of God is if we listen to God's word, well, the first point that I want you to see is listen to God's word to test the spirits. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Now, every preacher and teacher is being led by a spirit in what he is saying. I would like to tell you that most are being led by the Holy Spirit, but I'm not so sure anymore. I remember reading for the very first time what Billy Graham said about the number of people who were actually saved who were members of the church being startled. And he said that he believed that well over half of those whose names are on a membership role on any given church are not really saved. I thought, wow, that's a pretty stark statement. But you, if you think about it, maybe you would move into an agreement. I, I think most of us have come to that place to understand that. And even today, one of the more well-known pastors of our day made another statement recently, and he said that he believed that not only well over the majority of pastors, but an overwhelming majority of pastors, he would call false prophets. Now, isn't that interesting? 
Just like that startled me to read what Billy Graham had said, it startled me when this man said it, and I thought for, at first, that, there's no way, but the more I, I thought about it, those places that call themselves churches, and many places that do not hold to the Word of God, and that maybe it might be read in some way, but definitely not explained and talked through and, and believed as the Word of God. I believe that he's on to something and probably right. Do not believe every spirit. Rather, he said to us, test the spirits. That word test means to examine. Put to the test. Put some effort behind it. And as a matter of fact, that's a command for you. You should not sit under the teaching of the word of God and not test the spirits. How, how do you weigh this out? Is, is this teacher really teaching me the word of God? Are they giving me the truth of God? Is it lining up with the word of God? That's really our only accurate standard of measurement. Parents, one of your big jobs is to help your kids learn how to discern whether something is true or not. If, if you're not helping them to think through a biblical worldview, what the word of God says about something, you are not properly training them for what's ahead of them at school and at the university. We're, we're believing a lot just because someone in the media says something. We're believing a lot just because a politician, well, maybe not that one, but we're, <laughs> we're, we're believing a lot because just a, a pastor says something. And you know what you've been commanded to do? Test the spirits. Test the spirits. You see, I gave you some good news. Seven out of ten Americans believe the Bible is the word of God. Let me give you some bad news. Probe ministries found that 66% of those who profess to be born again believers do not believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. You see the ground that we've lost? I mean, that's moved like 20 percentage points just in the last five or ten years. The ongoing attack of the enemy against the word of God and the truth of God. It's, it's devastating if the church of God does not see itself as a protector of the truth. As a guardian of the truth. First Timothy clearly tells us that we're to guard that good deposit. Part of guarding that is testing the spirits. Examining. Discerning. If you are never testing... You may not be thinking, but definitely you're not being obedient. If you're just believing something because it was written in a textbook, if you're just believing something because a university professor told you, if you're just believing something just because a pastor told you, if you're just believing something just because it came out of someone's mouth, then you've not learned to be obedient to the scripture to examine and test the spirits. To see whether they're from God. You see, there is this Holy Spirit. He is the third member of the Trinity. God is one, and yet He exists eternally in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who came on the day of Pentecost. Jesus ascended back into heaven, and He would lead us into all truth. And the Holy Spirit is guiding us. Now, there is a demonic spirit. A satanic spirit. Satan himself, when he was cast out of heaven because of his pride and his rebellion, he took with him 
other angels. And that's the demonic world that the Bible teaches us about. And he's doing all he can to deceive, to blind, to distort, to deny the very word of God. Listen to God's word to test the spirits. Let me give you the second thing. Listen to God's word to learn about Jesus. Look on in verse 2. Now, at the end of verse 1, he gives us this command and even why. Not every, not every spirit is from God and many false prophets have gone out into the world. It really shouldn't surprise us that people are teaching things that are contrary to the word of God, false prophets. But verse 2, he says, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now, John, who wrote this letter, also wrote Revelation. And in Revelation, he gives us a pretty clear description of the Antichrist who will come on the scene. Now, I, I know there are a lot of different views on when Jesus is going to come back. And, but the, the, the fact is that if you're a Bible-believing follower of Christ, there's no debate about whether he is going to come back. And at some point before he comes back, there is going to be an antichrist, that is someone who sets himself up as God to be worshipped. He is Satan's substitute imitation of the Christ, but he's opposed to everything about Christ. He will set himself up to be worshipped, and those who worship him will take the mark of the beast and they will follow him. And it's going to be a pretty awful time. And that's why Revelation calls it a time of tribulation, the great tribulation. But until such time, the spirit of Antichrist, that is, these demonic spirits, those that are opposed to the things of God, the devil and his followers, they're operating fully. And as the time of Christ's return nears, he just picks up the pace and works even more diligently to attack the word of God and the people of God. You see, the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. But how do we know that we're listening to the Holy Spirit as opposed to the spirit of the Antichrist? Well, we can weigh it out according to what they say about Jesus. Almost any group, let me say it differently, every group that is opposed to the word of God, the truth of God, has an aberration, has some distortion or false teaching about who Jesus is. Now, he says in this, every spirit that confesses. This is the same word back in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin. It's a, a general way of saying the same thing about what we've done that God says. Confess. In that same way, we, every spirit that confesses says the same thing about Jesus that the Father does. Well, he is from God. If a person says about Jesus what the word of God says, what God himself says about Jesus, we can know that that spirit is from God. Now, there are a number of things that we could say about Jesus, even from this text. The very fact that he says that Jesus has come in the flesh suggests that there is an, a preexistent 
Jesus. One who who existed eternally with the Father and the Spirit. And the Old Testament, that time period, Jesus is from eternity past with the Father and the Spirit. But time as we know it, when it began in Genesis 1-1, Jesus was there with the Father and the Spirit. And we think about him in terms of his pre-existence before he took on human flesh. And that's the incarnation. You see, the Bible is a book about Jesus, even in the Old Testament. It's a book about Jesus. Luke chapter 24 makes it really clear. Let me just read that to you. Luke 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, Jesus is saying to those, uh, his disciples, after his resurrection, before his ascension, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. You see, every category of Old Testament writing, it was all focused on Jesus. And as we read it, we're not reading it rightly if we're not reading it in terms of the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus himself. The Bible is a, is a book about Jesus and the Spirit's work. If you'll notice again, verse 2 in 1 John 4, by this you know the Spirit of God. The, the Spirit's work was to inspire these words to be written down, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. Jesus said, I will send a comforter, a helper, the Holy Spirit, who will guide you into all truth, and he will remind you of the things that I've said, and he will show you the things that are to come. That's the Holy Spirit's work, even in inspiring these words to be written down that we have in the Bible. The Spirit has been at work, and he's pointing us to Jesus so that we can be saved in all that's uh, included with the fact that he's come in the flesh. Now think about it. Not only do we see the pre-existence of Christ, he came, he left the glory of heaven, but we see his incarnation, he took on human flesh, he didn't diminish his deity, he just added on humanity. And so, the God, Jesus, the God, the Son of God, took on human flesh and became the God-man. And so when he went to the cross, he literally died because he took on human flesh. There was what some theologians call the hypostatic union, where two natures are merged into one. Jesus is the God-man, two natures into one. He became the adequate sacrifice, the Lamb of God. God himself came and lived incarnation, and he lived a sinless life. So we see his sinlessness. And then he went to the cross, the crucifixion. Three days after, though, he rose from the dead, his resurrection. He ascended back into heaven, where at the right hand of the Father now, he intercedes on our behalf, and one day he's coming back as the God-man. You see, he died on the cross and was resurrected. It didn't change that nature, the God-man. And even now in heaven, he's the God-man. And one day when he returns, he will be the God-man. It's his nature. Are we confessing that? Do we believe the right things about Jesus? If we don't believe the right things about Jesus, then we are being led astray by the enemy. The enemy sells the imitation of Jesus. A false prophet could be, as I said, a pastor, a teacher, an educator, a journalist, or whoever else, but he's a a tool of the enemy. 
Remember 1 Timothy chapter 4 in verse 1? What was said about false teaching? Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. It shouldn't surprise us. It's a part of what's happening in the days that we live in. The enemy is at work selling us lies. So some will even ask, well, how, Rodney, how do you account for all these other religions? You know, Christianity, I mean, then you have Islam and you have Hinduism. You, you, you have other religions. How do you account for them? Well, if you were the enemy, how would you lead people astray? Wouldn't you come up with imitations other options, and try to lead people, blind people from the truth. You see, we don't have a lot of other religions and we don't have a lot of other uh, faiths because God thought it would be a beautiful thing for us to all believe a lot of different stuff. God's not a God of confusion like that. He's not, he's not a God of contradiction. You, you can't even put those things together when you look at the different religions That's the work of the enemy. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me me show you a couple of more things here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. In their case, the God of this world, notice that's the little g, God of this world, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. When we think about places where we're being told, don't preach your gospel, your Jesus here. Do you see the work of the enemy trying to silence the church and God's people? Just recently, I heard about a student who was told, you can't share your faith in here. We don't allow that. And of course, that's that's illegal to tell that student that for one. But it just tells you the mindset of those who are in the world. We don't want to hear that. Now, you don't normally hear that about some other religion because the enemy's not worried about that. But he wants to stamp out Christianity because he knows that's what changes people's lives. It's what makes them right with God. It moves them from, from darkness to light. It moves them from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven. It it moves them from bringing glory to themselves and to sin to bringing glory to God. And the enemy doesn't want that. So he's blinding the minds of unbelievers. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, there's a little bit more said about this in verse 13. For such men are false apostles. Now, I just want you to see there are almost every letter in the New Testament says something about false apostles and false teachings. This is not some new idea that we're trying to pull out and, and really the sky is falling. This was a problem from the very beginning because the enemy's been working since the beginning of time as we know it. But for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. The religions that are around us, do you not see portraying themselves as from God and from good? See, that the devil himself portrays himself as an angel of light, what is good, what is right. 
And if we don't test the spirits, we, we will be in danger of falling into that same camp. The cults, every one of them, you look at how they view Jesus, the Jehovah's Witness. Jesus is a God, a little g God. He is not a member of the Trinity. Mormonism, the way they view Christ, even though they use some of the same vocabulary we do, when you read any of their writings and the explanations, you see they, they're thinking something completely different than what we do as Bible-believing Christians. Now, I know this is not a positive message. I know, I know that this is not a popular thing to be saying that there's only one true God and there's only one way to get to that one true God, Jesus himself. You see, at one point in the American church, so to speak, this would have been a message that would have been preached almost from all pulpits. But we've moved away. And now the thing that the very word of God says so explicitly Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. Even in Acts chapter 4, there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than Jesus. It's, it's the clear teaching of Scripture, but the world is so pressurizing the church, the American church, so much so that now we, we really can't even call ourselves evangelicals because of what that has come to mean. Sometimes I don't even necessarily identify myself, be careful here in how you hear this, I don't necessarily say I'm a Christian because of what for many people that means. What, what does it mean to be a Christian? I, I call, I'm a follower of Christ. It's a clear description. I, I'm not denying the name of Christ. I love Jesus, and I'm going to say that all day long. Just the way I say it, I'm following Jesus. I'm a follower of Christ. And really, genuine salvation, someone should be following him. You should deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. That's a biblical description of what it really means to be a follower of Christ. There may be a lot of sincere people who are sincere about what they believe. But if it doesn't line up with Scripture, if it doesn't have a solid Christology, a theology of who Jesus is, they are sincerely wrong. And there are eternal consequences to being sincerely wrong. There's a book Rebecca McLaughlin wrote recently called Confronting Christianity. And she deals with 12, the subtitle of the book, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. It's a, it's a great book. I, I commend it to all of you, especially to parents, because your kids are going to be dealing with, these are the ways that the devil is trying to blind the minds of unbelievers. This is the way the devil would love to pull your children away from the truth of the word of God and from the path that God would have them. She's dealing with some of these tough issues. And on this one issue, she has a whole chapter on can we say there's just one true God and the only way to him is Jesus and not all these other paths. 
I, I, I like what she said. He, Jesus, presents himself not as one possible path to God, but as God himself. We may choose to disbelieve him, but he cannot be one truth among many. He has not left us that option. I had a professor in seminary that I, I really appreciated, uh, Dr. Roberts. I, I remember him so clearly saying one day his dad was preaching on the exclusivity of Christ, one way to heaven, only one way, through Christ himself. And after the service, you know, you could tell there were some people who were uncomfortable. And on the Monday, he met this woman at the post office. Some of you may not even know what a post office is, but it's a, po- a post office. And this lady, this uh, church member, she said, she said, Pastor, you know, I, I appreciate what you had to say on Sunday, but I, I don't agree with you about Jesus being the only way. You see, when I left my house, I came this way to the post office. You left your house, you came another way to the post office. People are coming, from there, but we're, we're all coming to the same place. Many ways, same place. And the pastor, and I think sometimes the Lord just gives us the right word. He, just, he said to her, you know, ma'am, I am so thankful when I die, I'm not going to the post office. <laughs> there might be many ways to the post office. There might be many parts to the elephant. You know, you may have heard that story of the elephant. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. Listen to God's word, thirdly, to identify with God. Are you in his family or not? Well, if you are, you're going to listen to his word. And in verse 4, little children, you are from God and overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them we are from God. Whoever listens, whoever knows God listens to us. Let me stop there for just a second. Are you his or not? Part of that, who do you listen to? Jesus said, John 10, 27, another work by John, the gospel of John, my sheep, they know me, I know them, and they hear my voice. They hear my voice. How do you know how to hear God's voice? Some, somebody said, I, I just want Jesus to speak out loud. If he'd just speak audibly, I'd know it would be him. And somebody said, read your Bible. He'll speak to you. And said, no, I want him to speak out loud. And he said, read your Bible out loud. <laughs> you, see, you can hear God's voice. It's right here. He's inspired his thoughts, his mind. We can study it. We can read it. We can memorize it. I, I, I think, wow, we can memorize the heart of God, the mind of God, what God thinks, what God says. We can spend every day thinking the very thoughts of God. It's right here for us. If you're his, you're going to listen to his voice. The spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, not the spirit of error, the Antichrist, or really even Satan himself. You're from God. Don't be afraid of the lies. Don't be afraid of the liar, capital L, Satan. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Fear the one who is able to kill the soul in hell, not the one who is able just to kill the body on earth. You are from God. And John says, we are from God. The apostles, they speak on the behalf of God. They've written the word of God. This apostolic office, God gave them to write down these very words that we would need and love and yearn for. Souls are in the balance. Eternity. It's the difference between light and darkness, heaven and hell. What you believe about God 
is the most important thing that you believe. You can get a lot of things right on earth, but if you get it wrong, who God is, who Jesus is, nothing else will matter. Believe the Bible is the word of God. There's only one foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11. We're building on one foundation. Christ himself. The Christ that the scriptures has revealed to us and shown us. The Bible says so. We cannot lose the foundation or all else will crumble. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. Would you pray with me? Father, there's no doubt people who are in this place today who've not had any hunger at all for your word and to listen to you, I pray that you would awaken their souls. Would you save them even this morning? I pray that you will impress on them what you've done for them on the cross and the resurrection. You paid the price. You have the, the power over sin. And Lord, I pray that today they would confess Jesus is Lord, that they would become followers of Christ. Lord, would you do that in our midst? I pray for others who've, who've slacked off, who, who maybe even are flirting with other thoughts from the world and have not been in your word. I, I pray that today that you'd call them back that there would be a deeper commitment, there would be a growing hunger. And I, I know you promised us, if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we'll be filled. Fill us today. In Jesus' name we pray.